This is Season 2 of the Endurance and Performance Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. For this go-around, we're trying something a little bit different. I did an interview on another podcast called Brandon's Bikes, and I thought it would be great to actually take that and share it here through my podcast. So Brandon interviews me, and some of the topics that we discuss are training with a power meter, training with heart rate, and you know, on the bike, training with both. So a lot of the conversation, it's about an hour and 10 minutes, is based around that. But we also spend some time talking about uh, what's been typically called uh, base training, but I like to refer to it as foundation training. So we talk about the importance of that, and that ties in really well to our training concepts from the last episode. Um, and so we kind of get in, in deep a little bit with some of that, with some different examples of uh, how you might use power and really use it effectively uh, for those that may be using it and not using it to their full ability. So as usual, uh, if you have questions, if you have comments, uh, don't be afraid to reach out. We can do that for you. I hope you enjoy the episode. It's a little bit longer. Like I said, it's about an hour, almost an hour and 10 minutes, but there's some really good topics and takes in there as we get into the year 2021 and uh, we see some racing, which uh, likely is going to be not until the second half of the year, but also speaking of foundation training allows us to bank a little bit more time and consistency so we can get more fit later in the year. All right. I hope everybody's doing well and enjoy the episode. All right. So good afternoon, Dave. Welcome back to the Brandon's Bikes podcast. This is part two for the listeners out there. The first part, we touched base on who Dave is and what his company Train to Endure is and the services that he offers. And then uh, going forward, starting with today and a few of the extra parts in the future, we're going to do a deep dive into some specifics. So today we're going to be discussing heart rate training, um, training with power meters, and then maybe if we have time, we'll get into kind of some of the, the building blocks of a training plan the different phases. So Dave, welcome. That's uh it's good to be back. We talked last time and you know we were all over the place, which is good. It's not a bad thing. There's a lot to talk about when when you start getting into it and it's hard to dive into specific categories when we're just doing a <laughs> just doing a sort of in, intro video. So uh uh happy to be back. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about you've been doing this for almost 30 years and we're doing a one hour long podcast. It's impossible to cover the amount of stuff that you've learned <laughs> over that amount of time. So, but Hey, that's why you're there. And if people, you know, hopefully they want to reach out to you and, you know, hire you on as a coach or do some consulting and then they can really do a deep dive with you. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can just put my email in the, in the show notes, they can, you know, they can go to my website, whatever they want, which is mine, a gen site, the TTE nation.com. So they can do that. That's easy. That's easy enough. And you said, you know, about an hour, I, I realize now there's so much junk floating around in my brain that yeah, an hour's hour's not enough. <laughs> I, I did my own podcast. And for the, anyone out there is listening, that's it's in the triathlon world. Um, uh, not I just did a recording with someone different, but uh, the one that just published was with Mike Riley, who is uh, referred to as the voice of Ironman. He's one of, one of the announcers along with, you know, and I, I do some races as well and a couple other guys. And 
we talked for a few minutes before our podcast and it was the same thing. I said, Mike, I'll keep this on point because I know this could, this could keep going and going and going. Yeah. It just depends on wh where we take it. So yeah, anyway, we, we can, we can take it in bits and pieces. Be. I listened to that podcast. That was a good one. And Mike, he seems like one of those guys that could just, like you said, keep talking and you almost have to cut him off. But I mean, it's almost like he's one of those guys that you just want to talk to, you know? Well, if you can, and someone had said this to me, my wife said the same thing, that if you guide him in the right direction, and, and I know him well enough that I tried to guide him and pull the, pull the things that I wanted out of him, and you, you can do that. And it just, it almost, you could point him down any road and he's going to have a story or an analogy or, or, or something positive to, to give back to it. It's just, he's had so many experiences with people and events um scenarios etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know and his his book is you know is fantastic too well that's good all right well let's get going so sure um i have hired you twice now to coach me once for the santa rosa marathon that was my first marathon and then once for the santa rosa iron man which was my second iron man and one thing that i noticed about the training plans that you gave me is that they were all um heart rate centric everything that we did revolved around you know the heart rate zone so explain to me why you do that or was that specific to me do you tailor that to each athlete or how does that work well it's tailored a little bit to each to each athlete and the reality is is you know every training program uh, that I build that I write that I script is has a, a certain component of intensity um, it's intensity governed you know, as opposed to go ride five miles, 10 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles, there's mm -hmm. always a time and intensity component to that, you know, so with you, if I, if I remember right, you know, we didn't have a power meter or anything to go by as, in terms of, of the bike. Um, and, and the reality is, is we, we want to train at certain intensities at different times of a, of a day, a week, a month or a year or a training cycle to get the most out of that training cycle. And it's, there's two pieces here. One, at some point, it's very specific to the event that you're training for. And the other piece is it's very specific to the time of, I was going to say time of year, but maybe that's not the best way to put it, but it's specific to the time of a training cycle. The, the year could have nothing to do with it. Somebody could be training for, you know, a marathon in the first week of February and they're in January and they're not doing base building or foundation training. I mean, they're doing race specific training at that point. So as right. I clarify that, if I ever say time of time of year, and that's relative to training cycle, you know, where they are within a training block or a cycle relative to their race or races. Yeah. You know, I, <clears throat> I think I'm catching on to the, the time of year and what time of year the races are and when I'm going to start training because the last couple of big races I did were, early-ish summer and a lot of the training I did was through the winter right. and it's not as fun you know because there's a race that I want to do in April and you know I was talking to you a couple months ago and you were like B most of your big miles are going to be in January February and it's freezing cold <laughs> outside and raining so I think I'm going to switch that up and start doing some later season races but yeah and I think that and, and you hit it you know I think my comment was the hard part and it doesn't matter where, if it's living where you are in Virginia or where I am in Northern California, granted the weather is different, but 
you're, you're going to be putting yourself for that April event, putting yourself where you need to be doing some of your best training or really consistent training in less, uh, less quality weather, you know, rain or cold or, and dark, and you're limited with darkness too, in terms of hours, morning, morning and evening. And sure we can do a lot now indoors, but there's only so much of that a person can tolerate. Everybody's a little bit different in terms of their bandwidth for that. But, you know, and as far as, you know, with, you know, you talked about that, that training, that time of year, it's just, it's like I said, everyone's got a different bandwidth and, and certain people can tolerate it a little bit differently. And it, and it isn't as fun. And I had a good discussion. This is going to be off my podcast with, with Dr. Julie Wiesemeyer. She's a mm-hmm. longtime friend, colleague, client. Um, uh, I really respect her and the way she goes about it. And, and we talked a little bit about sort of the motivation to do it and what's a person's motivation to do an event. And if, if for example, let's say you're really long, you know, bike um, event in April, if you're really motivated and you really love the training and you know, the end result is the event, then you'll have more motivation in December and January, you know, to, to do the training. Uh, but if your, your motivation is a little bit more extrinsic um, or it's not quite as genuine as we talked about it or autonomous yeah. as Julie called it, it's harder to get out the door. So you really have to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I did a podcast last night with Steve Bacon, uh, who is a a life coach, a motivational speaker, and we spoke specifically to the mental side of doing, you know, endurance sports and training, and we talked about the conscience or the conscious versus the subconscious mind Mm -hmm. and how committed are you really to doing it or do you just say that you want to do it, you know, so that that definitely plays a big part. Well, I see it with athletes that that are training and, you know, you talk about heart rate or power. Um, and the intrinsic side of, of the motivation is, is you, you do swim or bike or run or whatever it is because you, because you love it. And I said to Julie and that as an endurance athlete, if you don't like repetition and you don't like training that is perceived as boring, you found the wrong sport because yeah. it's really, really repetitious. And the training isn't, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of beautiful training yeah people post on their insta and their youtubes and it's all this glorified awesome right. like training and and that's that's not that's not the nuts and bolts on a daily basis so anyway we're, we're probably already a little off topic but it, it's appropriate yeah. <laughs> it's all good so what is what's the benefit of heart rate based training so we're going to talk about both heart rate and power so we should probably differentiate or just define you know, what both of those are. Obviously, if you're training with heart rate, you're training with a heart rate monitor, either through a strap that transmits to a bike computer or to a watch, uh, whatever your devices are. Um, a lot of the devices now all have optical heart rate sensors on, on the wrist, which have, are pretty darn good if you get the connection right. Yeah, they have their, mm-hmm. their flaws too. Um, and then, you know, a power meter we're measuring, it's on a bike, it's either in a hub or a lot, a lot of stuff now is in the crank arms or within mm-hmm. a bottom bracket et cetera, et cetera. So here's what they're measuring. When we talk about heart rate, since we're going to go there first, heart rate is measuring uh, a physiological response. So it's, it's your body's response to something. And it could be eight cups of coffee. It could be, you know, a, a 10 mile run at 8,000 foot elevation. It doesn't matter what it is, but when you're measuring heart rate, you're just measuring the body's physiological response to whatever you're doing. 
and to whatever influence the body influences the body has. And that can be a lot of things. And we'll, we'll get into that, I'm sure. And then power with a power meter, you're, you're basically measuring mechanical output. So whatever your body is using for work, it goes into that, into that device and it gets spit out in a number you know, of, of watts, which is a basically amount of work that you're doing at any, at any given time. So if, I think if that helps, it probably differentiates between one is mechanical, one is physiological. And that's, that's pretty important yeah. to understand both of those. So there's a lot of things um, that can affect that physiological response in, mm -hmm. in your heart rate, the heat, elevation, uh, caffeine, sleep, things like that. So I guess it looks like with training with power, you don't have any of those external physiological things that you're worried about. It's regardless of what your heart rate is, if you go out for you know a 200 watt ride, then you're getting 200 watts regardless of your heart rate. So is there a, an upside or a downside to one or the other? Um, there's, there's ups and downs to both. And you know I have, there's people who, I had a, a good friend of mine who's gotten more into cycling and, um, and he uses power and he, I won't say he refuses to use heart. He's a smart dude, like he's uh, a PhD, he's, he's an athletic trainer. And he calls him his bugaboos with heart rate. Well, I have my bugaboos with heart rate. You know, if you're tired, if I go, Paul, that's, that's the beauty of it is that mm -hmm. if we're measuring power, then a certain power output typically should have a typical physiological response. Mm -hmm. Now, if that physiological response is high, meaning heart rate is high for, let's use your 200 watt. So let's say at 200 watts, your heart rate is normally at uh, 120. And you're riding and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're an hour into your ride. So everything is settled in. And that's probably, we should talk about too, how warmups, et cetera, affect that. And you're at 200, let's say you're at 200 watts and you're normally at 120 and you're riding along and it's, you're at 200 watts and your heart rate's at 130. I mean, that's a, it's a big difference. It's almost 10%. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a, and that could be a big difference in terms of physiological response. You could be, you know, that could be 10 beats higher than you want it to be in your, in an event. So um, the better you get at understanding it in terms of it's at 1.30. Well, why is it at 1.30? And you go, well, I really didn't eat much breakfast and I had three cups of coffee. Well, you're probably having an effect to, to caffeine, assuming there's no other reasons like me, or maybe you didn't sleep well and, right. and you know, you're just physiologically fatigued. So what, what that heart rate is showing is that it's just taking more work to do the 200 watts. So the, the output is the same. The mechanical output is the same at 200 watts, except physiologically, you're working harder to hit that number. And there's so many, and we should get into it, but there's different, different responses and different reasons why the heart rate and, and power might vary. But the reality is, is if we can use, this is the other thing I like to teach, and we, we've talked about this as well, but power plus heart rate plus perceived exertion is, are really powerful tools in terms of telling you what's going on. So you sort of, and the hard part about that is you have your, your brain and your body, oh, which is really smart. Actually, our brain is, and our body is really smart. If we're willing to truly listen to it, it's, it's as intelligent as a power meter or a heart rate monitor. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you use that with the other two, and for me as a coach, I can ask really pointed questions if I have all of that stuff, or if I just have the two, if I have, you know, power and heart rate, I can ask about perceived exertion. You know, if, if an athlete doesn't say it was easier, it was harder or whatever it is. So I hope that, hope that helps explain it a little bit. 
Yeah, it does. And, and like we talked about before the podcast, I mean, there's just so many rabbit holes you could go down. Um, sure. Off the top of my head, just kind of like looking at it from a broad sense, it looks like to me, heart rate would come into play, heart rate training would come into play more for an endurance type event than it would for a speed type event. Is that correct? Uh, you know, typically, I would say that's correct. So if you're doing a shorter race, and it's, it's, here it is. It's based on the limitations of your event. Let's use your long bike ride, you know, for an example, or an Ironman, since you've done a couple of Ironmans. An Ironman isn't limited by heart rate. I mean, you can, if it's a low heart rate event, it's, it's limited by your mechanical, consistent mechanical output, how much you break down or don't break down physically. And it's limited by fuel. And that's, that's important. So, you know, the heart rate can tell us a lot about your substrate usage. So when your heart rate is lower, you're going to, uh, people always say fat burning zone. And I, I, I don't really like that so much as what we're trying to do in really long distance events is spare glycogen, meaning that mm -hmm. either you don't have to eat quite as much or that your, your stores stay topped off so that um, you just don't run low on. So the idea is that we become, you know, good enough mechanically that, you know, and then physiologically that our heart rate is lower. I mean, we're not using as much um, carbohydrate. We're using a little bit more fat, fat that we have stored for fuel. And that takes time that comes with fitness and, and the right mm -hmm. kind of training to be able to, to develop that side of your physiology. So in some part, I mean, you're, you're exactly right for the longer the race that we do, the more that heart rate becomes you know, a component to that. And here's a, here's an example. And let's talk, uh, you know, a long endurance bike ride since that that's in your wheelhouse and, and, and what you've talked about. And then we'll refer to the, maybe the polar opposite to that. So in a long endurance ride, and let's just say it's a, you know, it's a 15 hour, it's a 20 hour event, or you, I don't know how long yours is going to be like 87 days or whatever. <laughs> whatever it takes you. It's, it's long, 168 you know? miles. So. And by the way, for, for you, but for other people out there, if you're not familiar with Ted King, he did a, um, I'm not sure he did a, it. It's King of the Ride is his podcast. Yeah. And yeah. he has a, he has a YouTube channel too. And he had a great YouTube thing on, uh, he did a ride. It's called the, I don't know what, it's like the tour of Arkansas or Northwest Arkansas oh, or whatever. Yeah, yep. And I'm really familiar with the area and it's a bike packing thing. Man. It's unsupported. It's a thousand miles. It took him, I forget the amount of days and time he set the, the new, the new record. I wasn't necessarily trying, but I mean, that's, that's the extreme end of it, but with something, you know, something along those lines, it's, you, you don't want to put yourself in any kind of physiological uh, danger per se early heart rate, too high, too much output, because then you just start burning through um, carbohydrate calories mm -hmm. that you, you can't replace all of them without right. either stopping and eating or having a lot of stomach distress, um, which, you know, something like that, he is stopping because he's getting some sleep and he's stopping at stores to pick up stuff. So you can drop your heart rate to eat. So, you know, the longer the event, then, you know, the more that that becomes something to, not that you don't maybe monitor your power, but your heart rate is a, a pretty important component of that. And maybe another example is for people that are doing a you know, long distance triathlon, is and it's different because you spend you know a, a, a short 70.3 or let's compare it to an Ironman you know you're spending an hour or more on the water and I, my belief and you know that is we I want the swim to basically have a null no, have no impact on the rest of your day 
but you can't mm-hmm. not train to do that. You have to have good training yep. and have some mechanical and physiological um, efficacy to be able to do that. Um, but you want to be able to get out of the water with a low heart rate and mm-hmm. proceed onto the bike and either lower or keep your heart rate low for, you know, as, as long as you can. And, and the thing I see with a lot of people is they don't do as much swim training as they probably need to. They swim a little harder than they should. And what happens is after 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes in the water, their heart rate's been really high. They've already burned through a lot of glycogen. They get on the bike really excited and their heart rate goes through the roof. Um, and, and what my goal is, is to try and never let it to go that high, but if it does, how quick do we settle it? Yeah. Cause the mm-hmm. idea in that kind of event is we need to spare some, even though we're, we're eating and drinking, we need to spare glycogen so that, you know, the more that we spare, the more we have it for later in the day. Right. And we've talked about that before where, and you mentioned it just now, you can't replace all of that. So if your heart rate's too high, you're burning that carbohydrates so fast and you can only take in so many carbs and calories per hour. Right. So one, you can't replace it all anyways. And then two, now you're replacing even less because your heart rate's so high, you can't digest it. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Can you speak, yeah, it's... speak a little bit to that as far as um, you mentioned to me before the Santa Rosa Ironman that try not to eat when your heart rate is too high. When you get on the bike, try to spend that first 20 or 30 minutes, get the heart rate lowered and then start taking some fuel in because it just won't be absorbed properly. Speak to that a little bit. Yeah, and that's that's a good point relative to heart rate. And I mentioned it a little bit and got into it about the uh, the heart rate side to, to the swim and how it affects you know the rest of your day or the beginning of your day. So, for example, when your heart rate's really high, one of the first places that blood doesn't go to is your stomach. It's going to extremities um, and other places because you're trying to cool yourself. Um, you're trying to get oxygen to other other working muscles, and if we can keep the, the physiological stress low, then we can keep blood in the stomach. We need blood in the stomach to absorb whatever, whatever is in there. You know, so a big part of in a long distance event, ultra cycling, ultra triathlon, ultra running is having a certain amount of fuel in the system before the race. And then obviously having to top that fuel off as, as the race goes along. And that's the idea is we're not trying to refuel during an event because we can't do it unless we stop. Right. But it's it's sort of just topping it off, topping it off, topping it off. And at some point it gets dangerously low and we all have to sort of figure out where those limits are for ourselves. So, yeah, the 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 big part of that, if you're doing an ultra bike ride is, is you don't want to start off really hard. Uh, and I did uh, one of my experiences doing an, uh, probably the hardest ultra bike ride I did was the terrible two, which is a 200 mm-hmm. mile ride out here in northern California. And I think it's got. 18,000 ish feet of climbing 16, 1800. So, and you know, and the, yeah. and the climbs are long. Yeah. They're and legit climbs. They're not rollers. <laughs> no, they're, they're big. And some of them are steep. And, and so there's two pieces to that is you have to find out strategically where, where, when, and where you can, you have to fuel consistently, but there's also places where you want to maybe take in a little bit more and other places where you want to take in a little bit less. For example, right. if we're, you know, on that ride, if you're climbing up Trinity, you try and climbing up the geysers, um, or when you when you leave Lake Sonoma and you start going out Skags, you're doing these long sustained climbs. And the really strong guys, guys that are and gals that are really strong, they can function at lower relative to them, lower power outputs and have a lower heart rate. So it's a rich get richer sort of scenario. 
Um, so, you know, maybe they don't have to manage it as much, but they still do because they'll tend to ride at their relative effort going uphill. They're going to maybe, they're just not going to ride super easy. They're going to ride at what they need to. So, and it might not only be when and where the consumption is, it's the what too. So if you're, mm -hmm. you know, you're climbing. So for instance, on Skag Springs road, you go maybe 30 miles and it takes almost three hours for some people and it's either up or down there is no flat um, right. and you have to keep eating so maybe on the up up the one thing i encourage to people is on the on the long climbs you, you can't go 45 minutes and not fuel in a 12 14 18 hour event for some of these people you have to continue to fuel so my suggestion is have a bottle that's got calories in it use that to fuel when it's hot and when it, you're going uphill and then when you get a chance to go downhill, if you are going to take solids, maybe at the top, put some of those solids, start to solids in. So as your heart rate drops, then you can consume, you know, the solids. Because in an event like that, there's a more variable heart rate, whereas opposed to an Ironman, in theory, most Ironman races, you should be able to stay in a pretty tight window of mm -hmm. output, power, and heart rate to be able to manage that. Because it's a really, that's, a, you know, in an Ironman, it's a big thing as well, especially yeah. when you have to get off and run because you can't most people just can't fuel that much when they, when they get onto the run. Yeah, no, those are good points. Um, so one thing that I've learned over the years is that doing a lot of training in that zone two heart rate will make your heart. Um, what, what's the word? More efficient, mm -hmm. right? So how, how does that work? Well, does that mean? first off, First off, training in, in lower heart rate, and, and we should kind of clarify, there's a couple different ways that people will delineate heart rate zones. Like you can go on Twitter and there's some people that I follow. And because I follow them, I know they're what they're talking about. Like they use a three zone model. Mm -hmm. Zone one, zone two, zone three. Like three is hard. Um, one is easy, moderate. And, and two is somewhere sort of, uh, I don't know a lot for, for try to keep it generic, but a tempo effort, which is that sort of, strong focused steady effort which is not you know what you might be doing for an ironman or for an ultra distance bike ride where you'd be down in zone one so that's that's one side so when we clarify you know you and i are probably talking more of like a four or five zone um you know a pyramid if we want to call it right. zone one is really easy it's active recovery it's how you'd start a ride finish a ride and you know in terms of whether that's you know perceived exertion heart rate power whatever um, and then zone two is there's sort of a crossover when you get to the top of zone one, assuming your zones are delineated appropriately with maybe mm -hmm. that's another, another podcast for us yeah. is when you get into zone two, there's sort of this cross between where I talked about glycogen sparing people refer to it as fat burning. Like in, when you're more in zone one, you burn more, a higher percentage of fat. As you, as you work through that zone, you still burn a higher percentage of fat, but you start burning some carbohydrate as well. It doesn't mean you're not burning any carbohydrate, but you're, as you go, or, you know, it changes, but you're still burning a high percentage of fat. Get into zone two and you can do a lot of zone one and two training and recover from it. So I think, you know, going back to your question, the big part there is you're not burning a ton of glycogen. So it's easy to replenish that in your daily fueling per se. Mm -hmm. On rides that are maybe 90 minutes or less, you need very little to no glycogen as long as you're fueled before and you fuel after. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a that is an intensity that allows you to be really consistent with your training. So from okay. day to day, 
you know, I said in the last podcast, day to day, week to week, month to month, it doesn't mean we don't train hard, but the idea is that, you know, if we train that window of intensity, that allows us to, you know, the lower side of it, the zone one allows us to recover from hard workouts. And if you do a steady uh, zone one to zone two workout, that allows us to come back the next day and, and do more where if we, where we do people get in that window where they don't feel like they're working hard enough when they do that. So mm-hmm. they kind of go to the upper end of the zone two into zone three per se. And it feels good because it feels like you're doing work. And I get that a hundred percent, but at some point there's a diminishing returns. You start to dump a lot of glycogen. Um, you get more muscular fatigue. And although you can probably come back the next day and do it again and maybe a couple of days, but can you keep going? Can you do that? Can you do a 30 week build up to a race by just kind of sitting in, in that middle all the time? So, you know, that, there's a health side to that as well and a longevity side to it. And the other part is, is there is a crossover there, you know, with the physiological side that in some worlds, people are referring to it as a fat max. And I'm putting my fingers up for people. Brandon and I are doing this on Zoom. I'm putting fat max, which is like that highest end where you're, you're burning sort of the most amount of fat you can burn and some carbohydrates. So it's really like a caloric max where mm-hmm. uh, you're burning, you know, it's like you're getting all this fuel from two different sources that you're burning, but there's a high amount of fat. And then when you go over that, you start to use more glycogen, uh, you still have you still have the same demand of energy necessary, but it starts to come from glycogen or from carbohydrate, however you want to refer to it. So that if that makes sense, that's um, I hope that answers the the sort of zone two question for you. Yeah. So you're not when you're <clears throat> when you're looking at training in zone two and becoming more efficient, and and the heart is becoming more efficient. You're not necessarily talking about physiological changes in the cardiovascular system as much as you are the ability to recover and train consistently, right? Well, you are, you actually are seeing, you know, like you're seeing a lot of changes in those, in that zone too. So you do see physiological changes. So what you get is over time combined with other types of workouts is that, so let's say, let's say the zone two zone top of zone one to bottom of zone two range for you is 125 to 135. And the the cut, the cut there is 130. Mm -hmm. Well, what you start to do there is you're going to get to a point because you can do more training and train consistently is all of a sudden, let's go back to the a power meter. Let's say at 125 to 130, your power is, is 200 Watts. Well, if you're doing the training, right at some point, 125 to 130, you start to become more economical. And all of a sudden you start to put out 210 Watts, 215 Watts. Mm -hmm. And you start to become physiologically more economical. And now maybe there's a shift in your substrate usage. So now in that, in that range, you're using more fat as opposed to more carbohydrate. And that's just the nature of training. If we, if we train, right, we just get more economical power numbers, power numbers go up at a particular heart rate or at a particular power number, heart rate goes down. And that's why I think you need both. Because if you always train at the same power numbers, but you don't use heart rate, you, you don't know what's happening physiologically. So mm-hmm. at some point, the, the uh, heart rate ranges, once you're reasonably fit and you get them dialed in, they don't change a lot unless we age a lot. But even me over 20 years, you know, if you use the normal heart rate training number calculations, you know, mine would be way off as would some other athletes that I know because I've stayed reasonably fit aerobically. Um, so that, although has my 
threshold heart rates dropped a little? Absolutely. Um, but my, you know, aerobic threshold is really similar within three or four beats as it was 10 years ago. So it hasn't dropped 10 or eight, eight beats. So we do get a lot of bang for the buck, you know, right there, especially when we start with just health, longevity, consistency of training, but also ability to, um, you know, metabolize substrates and, and how, and how we do that. And, and this isn't just for really ultra endurance people. This is, this might be athletes that are, that are training for 5Ks, but have a lot of time to do training. You, we need to get better in that range because we want to do more training. I have some friends out there, they call, just say more is more <laughs> at the end of the day. And when you can't do it, um, we start to lose training opportunities. Yeah. You know, something <clears throat> as far as heart rate goes that I've always, you know, it kind of irritates me because <laughs> a lot of my training is in a five zone system is done in zone two and like you said just a minute ago typically you'll start out in a slower zone two but if you consistently train in that zone two and and mix in some other things then you'll see yourself getting faster but then i look at the pros that are just you know they're going all out man the hammer's down like their heart rate has got to be pegged and i just i i don't understand how you can take an athlete and put them in the Ironman world championships and they're pegged out for nine hours. You know, how, how does, how does someone, how does that work for somebody like that? Whereas somebody like me, there's no way I could be pegged out like that for that long. Well, you'd be, you'd be surprised that of how little work that they're actually doing to go fast because they're that good. Um, and if you looked at their training, the amount of training that they do, that's quote easy to moderate that zone too. They, if they're doing a 30 hour week, 20, oh gosh, 25 hours of that is zone one, zone two. Um, now that might change a little bit. And, you know, as they get to, if we're talking Ironman, they start doing a little bit more specific work where they're doing a little bit of work above it, uh, a lot of work at, uh, at it or under it. And they're doing, the, at that level, they're doing some harder stuff. So they'll go through periods where they're doing, you know, they're going, um, doing some harder work or in a race, they have to be able to, you know, go hard for two minutes to cover a gap or, you know, stay in the race. And I say, stay in the race, stay with corner of a lead pack, but that catch, can catch up with a lot of those athletes at some point. That's why we see like a Hawaii Ironman, big groups, a big group might come out of the swim together. Half of that group, that swim was comfortable. They just, they're in the group, they're working, but it's comfortable. Half of that group was hanging on because they're like, if I need to be in this race to get in the top 10, I need to be with this group. And then you see this group that moves its way up the, up the course and as they get up to the 60 mile point, which is the last 15 miles or 18 miles of that is kind of a rolling uphill is that group gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's because, although you hear a lot of excuses, it's because the group that's still together was within themselves up to that point. And then as, it, as that, if they turn around and come back towards town, towards the end of the bike, it just gets turns into little small groups. It, it's that right. big group of 30 is not 30 anymore. It's a group of three, it's a group of six, it's two, it's one, it's, and they're all over the place. So the reality is, even though it looks like they're working really hard, you know, that is really within themselves. For example, there, let's say a, a, one of the top pros, male, will average 300 watts on the bike. And there's people out there going, holy crap, 300 watts. Yeah, I'm one of those like, people. <laughs> yeah, four hours and 15 minutes. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's inconceivable. Even for me, it's, it's, I mean, that's inconceivable. I mean, I get it. It's just they, different engine, different training, different genetics, different everything. But 
their threshold power is 400. So that's it. That's 75% of their threshold, which actually is on the low end because they probably push more like 70 to 80%. And here's a good thing, like the thing with power or whatever it is, the longer you're out there for an event, the less those kind of general percentages, you'll hear people talk about, you know, for a, for an Ironman bike ride, you should average 70 to 75% of your threshold power. I go, well, that's great for the person going five to six hours, but what, or even, so what about the person going seven? They have to go less than that. They have to be in the sixties. And what about the person going four and a half? Well, like the pros, they're, mm -hmm. they're going to go closer to 80%. Um, and the, the guys that are really good, that, that consistently win races, that consistently don't have excuses or everything else, they are just mechanically and physiologically trained themselves to be better than the other athletes. And that means they do, they do a ton of that, let's say zone, if you want to call it zone two work, zone mm -hmm. one to zone two work. Um, that's their bread and butter because they know at the end of the day, the more, more economical they are in that range, the more mm -hmm. fat they burn the more glycogen they um, spare, which means they, they not end up not having as many nutritional or stomach issues because they, they keep putting in and the body is absorbing it. And on the flip side, it's the rich get richer again, is they don't have to put in quite as much because they're really economical and they are taking from fat stores. So yeah. um, they believe it or not, even though they're, they're working hard, they're, they're really, really within themselves. It's probably got to kill you as a coach to listen to the the race report at the end and they talk about, Oh, this happened and this happened. And I had a bad bike and the nutrition, this, and your <laughs> gears and your brain are probably just rolling, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's rhetoric. And, and there's, there's some guys that I really love a Sebastian Keenley, a German guy. I love him because yep. it's just straight up honesty. He goes, I suck today. I wasn't good enough today. Or um, I need to work on my swim and make, it's just what there's no, he doesn't have excuses and other guys make excuses, whether that excuse is external or the excuse is internal. And we hear guys, I, there's, there's a couple athletes that, that drive me nuts and they're supposed to be professionals, but they approach everything non-professionally. And it's, it's frustrating to, uh, and, and it's just, they have this self sort of self-deprecating behavior or, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for sort of self-sabotaging behavior where, um, they just, you know, they sometimes just, they, they know what's right, but they have a real hard time doing, doing what's right. 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 So <clears throat> somebody like me, I've been training with heart rate, speed, and cadence for the last five years. Tomorrow, let's say I want to go out and get a power meter. Is there some sort of like break-in period where you need to see where your power numbers are and compared to your heart rate or how does that work? No, it's a, that's actually a really good question. Cause the first thing most people do when they get a power meter and they get it slapped on their bike, they're like, I'm going to go do a, a threshold test. You know, what you refer to as an FTP test, a threshold power test, which is fine. And there's nothing wrong with those. They're, they're functional. They work. Uh, they help you delineate zones a little bit better. But um, what I might encourage some people to do is just ride with it for a couple weeks, maybe even mm -hmm. a month. Um, and I've had my athletes do this because they're like, let's do a threshold power test. I go, let's just not overload you with too much straight away. Put it on your bike, watch how the power numbers move around and they shift. So for example, we talk about heart rate versus power. Heart rate numbers are reasonably stable. They don't 
jump around real quick. They need time to respond. So like your physiology right. needs time to respond to your mechanical output. So you could get on, you're riding down the road, going really easy, your heart rate's low, your power is low. And then for four minutes, you could go super hard and your power output immediately. And you see the numbers just jump straight through the roof while your heart rate stays low. And then it just gradually starts to come up. And then at some point it comes up really quick because the body right. is physiologically stressed. So that's an, something for the listeners to understand is that power is an immediate, the number that's given to you of mechanical output is immediate. You know, and what I always say, the power doesn't, unless your power meter is wrong, which it really is. And it isn't most people say, I think there's something wrong with my power meter. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with your power meter. <laughs> something wrong with you. Um, so the power meter doesn't lie. Like, and when it comes to heart rate, heart rate doesn't lie, but it tells fibs. And we have to be able to be good as people, as coaches, yep. as athletes, understanding where that fib or that white lie comes in a little bit so you can figure the truth out. But anyway, um, so I think just looking at it, because initially when you look at power numbers, for those out there that have either are new to it uh, or get frustrated with it, when you look at it, the numbers are all over the place. Like, you could be at 200 and then 210 and then 190 and then 188 and then 214. Yeah. And that's one, a combination of how instantaneous you get feedback from mechanical output. And the other one is, is for some people, how inconsistently that they ride, how mm -hmm. I refer to riding steady. Now it doesn't mean if I say ride it to, I'll never tell someone ride at 200 Watts. Like I give them a range, you know, for example, let's say, um, let's say in an Ironman, we want to be around that 200 from all our training and everything we've figured out. Some of you're going to do an Ironman, Brandon, and the number we figured ballpark, if you, you know, average or normalize around 200 watts, we're in the ballpark. Well, that doesn't mean you can start a ride and finish a ride 112 miles later and just stare at 200 watts the whole time. It doesn't work that right. way. We well, got to go up a climb and you got to go down a climb. You got to go into a headwind. You have to have a tailwind. So I create mm -hmm. scenarios and so if we're going uphill, the range is from X to Y. Uh, or I should say, if we're on the flats, it's from X to Y. If we're going uphill, it's from Y to Z. Uh, and if we're going downhill, for me, downhill is at, at a certain speed, just coast, because we just mm -hmm. need to conserve. There's just stay arrow, coast, go fast. And then sometimes you're on these gradual downhills where you're moving really, really fast. And this takes a while to develop the skill. And I'll say to athletes is don't try to push any number there. Just keep the speed high. So if it's just easy and you're going 25, 27, 28, whether it's a light tailwind or whether it's a slight downhill, like don't push the power, just keep the mm -hmm. speed high. Because what happens is, is there's are certain points where the power is to go <clears throat> half a mile an hour faster. You have to go really hard. You have to push a lot of Watts and that all of a sudden yep. becomes more stress that you don't need. So you're better off. You keep the pace high. If your heart rate's low, that's perfect. Good time to fuel, et cetera, et cetera. So my initial thing would be to just kind of just see how that power meter works. How does it respond to your efforts up, down? Um, what are, where do the numbers trend? And, and then, you know, how does it respond across a bike ride? Do you start out riding between 170 and 200 Watts? And then you finish a ride riding between 130 and 150 watts. And that says a lot about how you did your bike ride. Um, right. that's, a, it's, that's a rabbit hole we can go down. <laughs> but, sure. um, so that says a lot about it. And I can look at someone's file and show them like, listen, your power the first hour was this. 
Uh, and then the second hour was lower and the third hour was lowest. We don't ever want a ride to be that way. We want it steady or we want it to right. rise. I mean, that's ideally, you know, what we're looking at in terms of pacing, in terms of, you know, output and stuff like that. And then the second piece is at some point, and there's different types, um, but at some point we should do some sort of um, threshold testing, which sometimes it happens naturally because I've had people who get a power meter, they're two weeks before a race, they want the numbers. I go, no, we're not going to use the numbers. We're going to do the race. We're going to, we're going to take the race, have a, a tactical plan for the race in terms of what we're going to do physically, physiologically, and everything else. And then we're going to look at those numbers afterwards. And a lot of times I can do that and I can establish zones from a, from a race. And it depends on the race, but I can do it. Uh, if it's a, a bike race, you know, like a short bike race, we might be able to get really good numbers uh, from that. And if it's, let's say an Ironman or a 70.3 race, my biggest thing, and, and I put a little pressure on my athletes this way is let's just say it's a 70.3 race and they're getting ready for some other stuff. I'm like, here's what I want us to do for the race. Swim and ride in a way that we run well. And well is relative to the individual. Uh, well mm -hmm. might mean, meaning we have a range of we, what we think is appropriate for 13 miles off, off of a swim and a bike ride. Um, I said, the problem is if we don't run quote, well, then our power numbers were too high. So we can, if that, if that makes sense. So if someone runs yep, well, absolutely. then we probably have a really good range of what someone's 70.3 racing power is. And I can delineate from that threshold powers, Olympic distance power, uh, Ironman power outputs and things like that. If they don't run well, if it's by a little bit, then we can say, okay, we were a little bit high. And here's the one I'll get all the time. They'll get into the run. They're like, you know, I started having stomach problems and I had to slow down. I go, well, why do you think that was? And, you know, excuse one, excuse two, excuse three, and so on. I go, you rode too hard. I get, mm -hmm. if you don't run well and you had stomach issues on a run, you rode too hard. And, you know, and, and that's, it's hard to get people to believe that. And it took me, even me some time a little bit to truly understand you know, what it, you know, what it meant. And like, uh, here's a good story. When I got my first power meter and this goes back um, 2003 or 2004, when they were starting to become a little bit more readily available um, and not quite as expensive, although the prices now have come down. The first event I did with it was an Olympic distance race. And I hadn't quite figured out where, you know, where my number, where my numbers were, but I was having a pretty good idea. And I got onto the bike and the first three or four minutes, I keep looking down at my power going, holy shit, that's too high. Holy shit, it's too high. And it was. So it taught me that even with all my experience, that I was probably getting into my short distance racing and spending the first three to five or six minutes at too high an intensity, which affects yeah. the rest of your day. Um, and part of that's just the competitive side. I, I felt yeah. like I had dialed in my longer distance stuff a little bit better, but it even taught me when I thought I was pretty good about getting it dialed in that it's easy to too. do yeah absolutely you know you get out of the i mean even if you're not doing a triathlon i mean when i would you know just any any race at all you know once the gun goes off yep. you're going and then you get 20 minutes into it and you're like oh shit i need to dial it back a little bit absolutely know? yeah yeah for sure unless it's a criterion bike where, race unless it's a criterion bike race where it's gun goes and you've got to go hard that's a race where it's the hardest part of those races are typically the first 10 minutes yeah but other than that you know yeah i did um the cloakow half marathon one year and i went in there with with no goal other than i'm just going to run it you know and it wasn't even i'm going to try to finish and you know i knew i was going to finish it was a half marathon it wasn't a big deal but 
the gun went off and I'm running with my buddy. And he's like, dude, you just freaking left me, man. Like you just took off. And I felt really good. I'm like, man, this feels really good. I'm looking at my pace and my heart rate. I'm like, I know this is too high, but it just feels so easy right now. And then an hour into it, my body just blows up, you know? Yeah. yeah. So been there. Um, well, well, the adrenaline, but, the adre- adrenaline wears off. Caffeine yeah. starts to be less of an effect. And then all of a sudden yeah. your body goes, Hey B, guess what? Time to pay the piper. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, all right. So really quick, not not thinking about brand specific, but mm-hmm. type of power meter, whether it be a hub, a crank, uh, pedal, what would you recommend? What's the most accurate? Single-sided, double-sided? Double-sided will be more accurate. You'll get more data from it. Uh, we'll start with that. And you don't, you know, it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed, you know, and so it's, I have athletes which are great. They get a power meter and they're like, I don't need to know all the ins and the outs. I just need to, you know, guide me a little bit. Um, let's set some ranges and some zones and it, and it really helps them. You know, some people like to geek out on the data and power is, like I said before, if, if you look at it in, in, in windows that are too small, it doesn't tell the whole picture. Uh, and then if you look at it in windows that are too big, it doesn't tell the picture. You know, for example, if someone does a bike ride, let's say it's just an hour, you know, and it's 10 minutes easy at the beginning. We talked about this trying to get in and out of stoplights. Well, and then the last seven, it's first seven to 10 and last seven to 10 or that. But maybe they, in the middle of the ride, they have 45 minutes that they're doing at a steady, you know, range of power. And they're like, oh, I did my hour, but it was 15, 20 watts below the range that we were supposed to doing. I go, well, we don't want to, we don't, the first 10 minutes doesn't matter. And the last 10 minutes doesn't matter. We need that 40 to 45 minutes in the middle. And there's, you know, training softwares where you can just take it and drag it and block it. And you can look at it. Or if you just use the split feature on your, your Garmin, your Wahoo, or whatever you use, you can look at your average power, normalized power, whatever it is for that, or heart rate. It doesn't matter. It could be heart rate for that, you know, for that period of time. So that's, that's, what's really important, you know, and I'll do that, you know, with, with an Ironman, I'll, I'll, I'll take somebody's race and I'll take it into, if they do a, a course, it's three loops. I want to see what every loop looks like, how consistent were we? So anyway, yeah, I'll start to go down a little off a tangent there, but so that the data matters. Um, and then, so double-sided would be great because it gives you typically gives you more consistent, you know, reliable, because it's measuring both legs, you know, and we're right. talking about dual-sided being either, a pedal on each crank arm or a, 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 a power measuring device on each crank arm. Right. Um, and those will tend to be a little bit more expensive, of course. Um, so I think that's valuable. Um, one product that is probably got less traction now. Um, well, let me go back with like with the double-sided crank arm. If you have one bike, it's an, it's a non-issue. So you just have a, you know, have a one bike with one power meter um, and you're good to go. Um, if you have two bikes now it becomes like, okay, and do I, on the second bike, now I get another, do I need to get another power meter for my other bike and for my mm-hmm. athletes that aren't really well versed in it? And I'm like, you know, we should, if we're going to measure power, we should measure it all the time. That's mm-hmm. my ideal world. Um, so if that's the case, then maybe if have, people have multiple bikes, which they might hate, look like I've got a road bike and a TT bike and, you know, whatever it is. So, um, and power meter on a mountain bike people use them but it's so very you know it's so variable on a, on a mountain bike that it's you know a gravel yeah. would be somewhere in between but if you have two bikes then for some people maybe um a uh, the 
the power meter within pedals might be a better mm -hmm. choice uh, because they're pretty easy to move from one bike to the other bike. If you're, uh, some people really like specific pedals. If you're not married to a pedal brand or anything else like that, then I, it's a really good way to go. I've got a couple athletes that swap them back and forth and they love it because one, and you know, it's basically one power meter instead of two. So, you know, right. budget wise, it works out. And then the newest, I believe it's the newest Garmin pedals. Um, have yeah, the Garmin been vectors. Have been really good. Like the original vectors were funky because you had to calibrate these weird little pods. And, you know, I had athletes that were going from, you know, like a power tap or something else to that. And the, it screwed with their brain because the numbers were low. When they traveled, they had to keep recalibrating it. And, you know, I had an athlete where they felt like it screwed their brain up because they switched to them and went to do Hawaii Ironman. And, and this is where they had heart rate and they weren't listening to their perceived exertion and they weren't watching and they were focusing solely on power. So their power was low. Their speed was high, relatively speaking. Their heart rate was normal and steady and the perceived exertion was where it was. was. But she was so worried about her power and got freaked out about her power until halfway mm -hmm. through two thirds way through the bike. She had said, I for, forget about it. I'm just going to I'm going by the force, as I like to call it, you know, just yeah. trust your instincts and a very experienced athlete. I mean, very experienced athlete. Um, so anyway, so the, the, the pedals are good. The crank arms are good. Um, there have been some funky ones over the years. So, and there's a different, different companies that make them between I four or four, I, whatever it is, you got pioneer um, you've got stages. You, I mean, there's all kinds of you know, power meter devices out there now. And like we said, we don't need to go into brands and then, you know, power tap, which makes pedals and they're still probably making their hub devices. And I still have a yeah. power tap hub on one of my bikes on a, on a built into a, a head wheel. And man, over the years, they have been unbelievably reliable. Now that's a product you could move from for initially when i had people who had multiple bikes as long as you know the wheels fit bikes and kate you know the cassettes were that was the for me that was the way to go because if i only had one power meter i could just take that wheel and take it from one bike and, and rear yeah. wheel and put it onto another bike um just as just as effectively so um you know i think they're still making them and I, to be honest with you i've never had a problem and i've had so many um power tap wheels and or hubs that go into wheels over the years but now you know they were now we're looking at a bunch of other devices that are you know the pricing has come down and we're getting good accuracy and, and even yeah. accuracy now between from one power meter to an, to another you know you're talking about geeking out on numbers i am totally one of those people and i think it would be a i think it would be detrimental like i like the garmin vector pedals and i like the idea of being able to look at the power numbers at each position of your pedal stroke and see how efficient you're pedaling. But right. then I feel like, you know, you're riding, you're just going to be focusing on how efficient am I pedaling? And then heart rate goes out the window and power goes out the window. And I yeah. think it might just be too much, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a data overload. Um, where it's, it might be good to look at something in, in retrospect when you, you know, after a ride, if you can pull that data, but the other thing too, is very rarely as people, are we that symmetrical that, yeah. um, from from left side to right side we all have our you know now if we have these massive um asymmetrical problems like your left leg is at 45 percent or 40 percent your right leg is at 60 now we have a problem and that's yeah but if we're you know the small numbers are, are just small numbers they're they're not worth worrying about and even 
because of you know the way that we move even there might be spots in our pedal stroke where you know our, our our highest output in our pedal stroke is not at the top dead center it's not at 12 o'clock there's almost no power output there you're still all you're trying to do is get your foot out of the way and over the top of the pedal stroke yeah. um, and then you start as you start to go let's say at, at 12 at one o'clock you start to apply more power two three and the highest amount of power we apply is between let's uh, let's say between three o'clock and five o'clock and then at the bottom of the pedal stroke there's no, there's nothing there and then you know we, we hear people talk about pull up through your pedal stroke well we can do that if we want to alleviate a little bit of downstroke power but the amount of power that we produce on the downstroke um is so much more significantly more than the than the pull up that it's mm -hmm. just all again all you're really doing from six o'clock to 12 o'clock is trying to get your leg through there as quick as you can and that's usually just because you're pushing down with the other leg not to say that yeah. there isn't some mechanical work with the hamstring that helps get through those dead spots or whatever else it is so yeah i mean i yeah. agree with you you can get into to overload the reality is you just want simple numbers on your computer you know for for example a time of ride or if you're doing intervals of the interval time yeah. you know power in in the moment heart rate in the moment uh, and one thing, and, and well, I was going to say, we don't want averages. Uh, I, I don't like to have personally, and I don't want people to see averages on their screen because then we're always working off of that. If we're geeking, <laughs> my power's too low. It, the average is too low. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to, what are you, yeah, exactly. What are you doing in the moment is what's really important. Um, so that's, that, that's crucial, you know, for me, although I might have athletes as they are in a long distance race that. Um, the number, if, if I know they can manage it, th that average or more like a normalized power, that number is on the screen, but mainly because if it's over it, then we know we're going too hard. And I always yeah. want that number slightly below it. Um, you know, we want that new number moving up, not moving down per se, yeah. steady or, you know, or, I, or going up. The more I think about it, the only average I have is the um, average speed of my ride. And that's yeah. more for a pacing standpoint, right? you know than anything yeah. but because i don't have yeah. power yeah um, and that's and that's the other thing let me hit on that sorry b let me hit on that yeah, quick no, no, no. and pe people will do that they're like they gauge a race by they want to average a certain amount of power and i'm like oh no don't do it please don't do it you know if they're my athletes you know i won't let them do it and mm -hmm. it takes some time to have them understand why and you know let's say uh, okay typically on my long rides i average 18 miles an hour so i think i can average 18 for this event and, you know, maybe we've figured that out based on how are you running when you get off of the bike, if it's a triathlete, how are you recovering if it's an ultra cyclist or a cycle, I mean, whatever it is. But there are so many things, you talk about things that affect heart rate, all the things that can affect your power, I mean, excuse me, affect your speed. Um, do you go to an event? Are you at altitude? If you're at altitude, well, your speed's going to be faster. Bottom line, if you're at 5,000, 6,000 feet, I mean, you saw that in Boulder. I had athletes oh who saw gosh. that in, in Tahoe. So your speed is faster, but your physiology is different. Um, if, if you have a, if you pick an event that's, let's just say it's an out and back ride and on the way out, there's no wind. And on the way back, the headwind comes up because yeah. it's later in the day. And that's not uncommon on specific events. So now all of a yeah. sudden you might've just ridden to an 18 mile an hour average on the way out. Yeah. And it might've been easy. You maybe could have ridden a little harder, but now you turn around and you're at 18 and you're riding into a headwind and you're like, oh, and you're killing yourself to ride 18. So yeah, um, yeah. speed is a, 
Speed is a product of everything else. It's a product of power. It's a product of your physiology, your mechanical output, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, you know, speed helps us get an idea of how long it's going to take us. But other than that, yeah. you know, and that's the same thing with running speed or, or pace or averages. It's just, it's a, it's a result yeah. of everything else that we do. It's the end of the equation. It's X yep. and Y equals, you know, yeah. your speed. Yeah. So, and in most cases, um, it's like A plus B plus C plus D plus right. <laughs> equals speed. Really, really quick, because you, you, you mentioned it and I thought it was so funny. But yeah, when I did Boulder, I got off the bike. And every time I took even the littlest breath, my lungs, it just felt like they were being stabbed. And I walked over to the medical tent. I probably wasted 20 minutes at the freaking medical tent off the bike. And I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And they're like, are you used to elevation? I'm like, no, you know, it was, it was major. I knew, I knew I was, it was something that I was going to be facing going into it, but I had never experienced it before, but, um, all right, we'll wrap this up really quickly with, um, just some, the different periods of training. So there's a few different periods of training and one that, I think you like to hit on a lot. One that, I, that I've seen a lot is the base training. Can you explain to me what is base training? In, in typical layman's term, most people think of, you know, base training as, oh, I'm just going about doing a bunch of easy miles, which it can be that. Um, but it's, it's when we think about base, think about that word. You know, it's all about that base. It's about that base. You know, it's a song <laughs> go, right? Um, and, you know, I like to refer to, for some people, I refer to it as foundation a foundation period because that resonates a little bit more with a lot of things yep. that could be the foundation of how you, and I think I referred to it as last time is building a house. We want this yep. foundation or this base that's really strong that we can do a lot of things from. If our foundation is weak, we can only do so much. Um, so for example, foundationally, if we're strong and we're structured um, and we're reinforced, It'll, it allows us to do more training later. Um, it allows us to do harder training later and harder is a relative term based on whatever event we're going to do. Um, and it just allows us to be more resilient as athletes that we can bounce back from stuff. Uh, and I think I used the reference before like a weather event, you build a house and if you have a good, strong, solid foundation and it's reinforced, uh, like here in California, if earthquake reinforced things, right? Well, if you build a crappy house with no, no foundation and nothing reinforced and a little 4.0 earthquake hits, your house crumbles to the ground. And you look next door and you're like, why is that dude's house still standing? Looks the same as mine. Well, you find out that they did earthquake reinforcement. They've got, you know, a different foundation to the house, et cetera, et cetera. And it may be similar with athletes and it, it may show up in an event. It may show up in training. Um, and then, you know, you look at you look at a buddy you may be training with and maybe they're they did a better build up in the winter and you jumped in with the training with them after they'd done eight or 10 weeks of foundational stuff, which might have been a combination of strength training, uh, lower heart rate training with some, you know, maybe um, higher output, you know, hill repetitions, whatever, whatever they're doing. But you jump in at the 12 week point and you do the same training going up to the event. You will start at the same time you're going along and. And let's just say it's, let's just say it's a, you know, it's a 10 hour ultra cycling event. And then all of a sudden at six or seven hours, you realize, I thought we were the same, but he's not breathing and I'm breathing hard. And we're going up a climb and he's starting to drop you. 
And then all of a sudden you can't keep up with them and you're like, your knee hurts and everything starts to ache. Well, well that typically comes that the difference that happens late in events. And it's why we see that you talked about Ironman. It's, it's typically why we see these things late in events is that if we go back and look at athletes training, let's see, assuming that they're doing all the right things on event day, pacing and stuff like that, we can probably trace it back to those that have a better foundation and, you know, a way that I'll refer to it again, if it's ultra cycling, ultra triathlon is the, the spoils go to the person who slows down the least. And, you know, the, those who are more durable uh, and can manage it better are, are those people. So from a foundational standpoint, we really want to set up in a given year, again, time of year or time of training cycle, um, that foundational period, which is different for everybody. It's not the same. Someone who's got 15, 20 years in the sport, whatever that sport is of consistent training, their foundation period could look very different from another person's. Yeah. Um, so, and it can last different amounts of time. And another example of that is I see a lot of people who, um, they just stop training. So they, they might train really pretty good for six months and then they'll finish an event they're sporadic for a little bit and then they take a bunch of time off yeah and that person is typically going to need in theory a longer foundational period to get ready to do more training so the way that i refer to it is that foundational or base quote base period is all we're doing in that period is doing training that allows us to train more Uh, and that's that's a very simplistic way of putting it Um, and then you know going back to the uh, people that I don't like people to stop training, um, get into a maintenance kind of mode, whatever it is. And that, that's so important. And, and I'll harp on that a little bit right now, because I think it's really important to just not stop. Cycling is yeah, a little is. easier to pick back up if you stop, but for those that might be triathletes or just runners or whatever, especially swimming, that's technical. If you don't have a swim background, um, I try not to let my athletes just stop doing that. For, here's a good example. I have a guy in Seattle right now who's struggling to get to the pool because of COVID, et cetera. He's a decent cycle. Actually, he's a pretty good cycle. He's an older athlete, so he's a decent foundation, but he struggles running. And, you know, he's dealing with some other family things. And I said, listen, just do your run workouts. Like if you can't get the other stuff in, prioritize your run workouts. Um, and he's doing it and he's feeling the benefits of it because he goes, it's December. And I usually let it slack. I'm running better now in December than I normally run. And Mm -hmm. he goes, I think it's just because I'm running. I go, of course it is. So I hope that helps under, you know, delineate, you know, what a foundation or a base period is. And it's very different. It can be very different for different people. Yeah. And I, I think you, you mentioned it really well. It's, It's not just the physical aspect of training, but it's, it's being consistent. It's being um, able to get out there every day. It's your recovery. It's your nutrition. It's your, your mental aspect of, I need to do this every day. It's, it's getting that elevated, but not blown up heart rate, you know, every mm-hmm. single day, or, or maybe not every day, but consistently. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's training. It's the phys- I, Go ahead, B. Sorry. I look at it like, um, from an age standpoint, right? Like you're older than I am. And, you know, one of the things that like my buddy over here that I ride with, you know, we'll see a group of cyclists and we'll see that guy that's 60 years old. And I'm like, that guy's going to kick your ass in that bike ride, you know, because <laughs> he's got, he's got 40 years of cycling. But if you take an athlete that's 
25 years old that's only been riding for five years, that 25-year-old might get his ass kicked by that 60-year-old, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. In the, in the short term, it might look different, but over the longer the event goes, it, you know, it's because you, you might, it might be very, it might look very, very different, you know, in a lot of ways, physically, psychologically, mentally, tactically, whatever it is, you know, that person yeah. has you know, some experiences, and, you know, and then that foundation period too, it's not just physical, it's building a physical foundation that's very strong, a physiological system that's really resilient, uh, that helps improve your immune system, that helps you deliver, uh, transport oxygen more economically. And, you know, people that skip it, um, you know, it, anything, anything you get quickly in training, you lose quickly, you know, yep. so if you are, if you do stuff to gain fitness real quick understand that you can't maintain that you're, you're going to lose it quick too when you stop it yeah. um and the and and the flip side is true that whatever it takes longer to produce results you will have that longer yeah there's some guys that i've worked with in the past that have you know they've picked up on my physical habits and they're like you know they start getting into running but it'll be day two and they're like i think i'm gonna go run some hill repeats i'm like <laughs> Dude, you're, you're going to go run yeah. some repeats. You're going to have 180, 180 heart rate, you know, and then you're going to yeah. be down for a week trying to recover. Yeah, you know? oh, absolutely. So. I agree. All right. Well, Dave, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. And uh, for the listeners, like I said, stay tuned. This is going to be a mini series. So today we did heart rate, power, mm -hmm. and some foundational training uh, for the topics. Uh, future topics that we'll be talking about is how to work with a coach, um, how to plan your race season nutrition, hydration. So we'll do a deep dive on, on some of those things. So stay tuned, Dave. Thanks again very much. And I hope you and Jen have a happy new year. Yeah, of course. And then, you know, if you have people that have questions, maybe that helps fuel or drive our, you know, our further episodes as well. And, you know, I'm happy to Absolutely. answer those. So if they want to email you or post them to whatever you, whatever you have, and, and then, you know, we can, we can do some questions, uh, question answers as, as those come through. Absolutely. And I'll put both of our contact information in the show notes. Perfect. Thanks, man. I All enjoyed right. it. Thanks, buddy. Take care. See ya. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the Endurance and Performance Podcast, wherever you might be and whatever you're doing. I hope that if you like the show, you'll subscribe to the podcast and share it with people of similar mindset that are looking for meaningful discussions around improving your performances and enjoyment of endurance sport. If you'd like to contact us, email addresses are available in the show notes. We would also love to hear from you and answer your questions. Until next time, enjoy the process.